And I'm going to welcome my husband, Pastor Jay Patterson, to the podium today. All right. Well, good morning. Good morning. Well, that was fun to get to... Uh, to have Pastor Dan leading us in communion this morning. I thank him for that. That was a great message. And uh, also just wanted to just thank our worship team again for a great worship experience this morning. Thank you so much for leading us there, guys, wherever you guys are now, somewhere in here, over there. Thanks, guys. Um, last week at the end of the service, we, we took a little bit of time to, to pray over a couple of situations. And so I wanted to give you guys a report back about that. Um, for those of you that are part of our intercessory team, you've received word back on both of those scenarios with, uh, with uh, Princess Barb's uncle, who had suffered a stroke and was having bleeding in his brain. We prayed for him in that moment. And also, we prayed for, uh, for uh, Sam Solon, who is, um, was going in for, for bypass surgery last week and for everything to go well there. Well, I'm really happy to report both situations have been very positive. Uh, so, Princess Barb's uncle, yes, praise the Lord. Barb's uncle uh, had a very positive turn, and, and last I'd heard, everything was improving very well. So, we're really thankful to the Lord because that actually looked like a very dire situation. And so, we're really thankful to the Lord that he's, he's been helping, well, he's been making improvements in, in, his, uh, in her uncle's physical body. And so, we're so thankful for that. And also with, uh, with Sam, very good positive news. He went through surgery very well. Every stage went well. Uh, he's been well received where he's been staying. Everybody there, the medical staff, just love being around him, of course. We're not surprised to hear that, but it's been, it was so wonderful just to see how the Lord went before him and their family and, and brought him on vacation to one of the leading cardiac centers in the country. That's just what, what an incredible uh, thing, and then allowed him to have the challenges there where he would go in and get checked out and discover the problem that was otherwise unknown, and now he's going to be doing better. His recovery is going well. Um, for those of you who are anticipating seeing him at Pastor Lanny's Celebration of Ministries, which is coming up very soon, by the way, if you have not registered and you haven't given your payment yet, please do so. This is going to be a really good time. But Sam has had to cancel with us, understandably, understandably. Uh, so we're... we're um, just thankful that he is doing well, that he's healthy, that he's improving. He'll come back again here uh, as soon as he's able to in the future. We're, we're looking forward to having him. But Mahesh and Bonnie Chavda are both going to be coming with us that weekend. Yes. Yeah. And they have agreed to speak here together that Sunday, which I don't know when the last time was that they did that here at our father's house. Maybe two decades or plus, I don't know. It's certainly it has never happened since we've been here, and that's been 16 years now. So we're excited for that opportunity. That's going to be a real patty. You're going to be here with us as well. So please make sure that you're here that weekend. That should be a really fantastic time together. Uh, so anybody who's watching online or watching later on, please, uh, please put that in your calendar because we want to make sure that we're here to see what the Lord is going to do. All right, well, let's get started. I'm going to, I'm going to pray before I get into the message proper here. Father, I just thank you for everything that you've been doing here today already. And Holy Spirit, I just invite your presence 
here right now, Lord, to lead us and guide us through this time, that you would disclose to us and for us what it is that you have for us today here. Lord, I ask that you would open your word to us and you would illuminate our understanding of what it is that you're saying here. Lord, I ask that it would, it would sink deeply into us, Lord, and it would become food for us, Lord, that we would be able to consume and that it would enrich our lives, Lord. I ask for, for transformation for us today, Lord. I ask that you would set our eyes higher once again on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So we've had a couple of weeks now where we've spoken about unity, and it's been a really, a really good time. Pete, you're here today, so I'm going to thank you in person here in front of everybody and embarrass you and say thank you so much for your message on unity. We all loved it. It was excellent. Please applaud. Yes. No, it was, it truly was, it was excellent. Again, I encourage you to go back and listen to that message. If you have not already, there's a lot of real wonderful treasures in that message. Um, last week I spoke on unity as well and talking about just really how, you know, piggybacking on what Pete had spoken about, how unity is something that God actually gifts to us. It's available to us. He's the one who has made unity and we have the opportunity to enter into that. And really, it's, it's not unity for unity's sake or the sake of having unity, which I would consider to be agreement or peace or whatever it is that, that the culture would call that. But it truly is entering into unity in Christ. It is focused unity. It's not just a, an ethereal thing. It is unity in Christ. We recognize that we are part of his body and what he is doing. So today I'm going to share a story. We're going to do some story time today, which I always enjoy doing. I see some story time fans over here excited. <laughs> We're going to do some story time today. And for those of you who are, are unfamiliar with story time, story time is what I just call the time that we get in here. We, go, we pull open a, a, a specific story in the Word that usually we have some familiarity with, but usually not a deep familiarity with. Some of us do have gone through the process of really studying these stories, but many of us have what I would consider to be a, when we're poked, a Sunday school depth of understanding in some of these, these stories. And that's, that's just what we, we go through in life. We don't realize, oh, I, I knew some of the basic tenets of the story, but the deep parts have washed away with time. And so it's important for us to go in and really uh, suck the marrow out of these stories and see what, what it is that God has for us. And when I say story, I don't mean fiction. Okay? And just to be clear, I do not mean fiction. So please don't receive it as, as fiction or we just you know, swapping stories and things like, no. These are the history of God's people and his activities in their lives. These are real people. These are real occurrences. And they have incredible impact, not only in that time, but in all time to come. Because God has allowed us to record it here so that we can benefit from that story. And he comes and speaks to us by, by the help of the Holy Spirit to enrich our understanding and help us really stand on his word. And, and the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. How many know that? We read what God's grace has been for those that even if it was 6,000, 7,000, 8,000 years ago, here it is. It was true then. It's still true today. And if his, if his grace was on deposit for them then, it's certainly on deposit for us now. So we're going to read a story today about Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. 
You guys are all familiar with this story. But you know it usually by a different name, and that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Right? Oh, I know those guys. Three men not burned in the fire. We're going to go through that story because it's, I think it's a powerful story. And it is a a story that deals with unity in it. It deals with the power and the presence of God. And it deals with the people of God living inside a culture that is opposed to God. Some things will sound very familiar as we go through this story today, as we touch bases on it. And and I trust that the Holy Spirit will illuminate your spirit on, on things about how this applies to your life and the environment that we're in as God's people in this day and age. So let's get started. So the book of Daniel opens uh, in a time frame that's about 605 B.C. And this is uh, really right after uh, we see um, uh, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, having had uh, Judah being delivered into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. Now we know that Israel and Judah had really just drifted really far from what God had for them. And God had been prophesying to them for a while that he was going to be taking them into exile. And this is when it started to take place. And so we see right as Daniel opens, it tells us uh, that this whole situation begins at the beginning of that time. And that's uh, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim. And so Nebuchadnezzar has come and he started taking people off to Babylon. And... uh, a few years in, we know this story in particular takes place uh, three years plus after that time. We'll talk about why we know that. Um, but three years plus after that time is when this, this story takes place. And it takes place in Babylon, and uh, it has just some incredible depth to it. So we're going to get started in Daniel chapter 3. And I'm going to start through the story, and then we're going to do a little bit of backtracking. We'll be doing some reading around here. But what, you, what I want you to kind of position yourself with as we begin this story is to think about how living inside a culture that is not a godly culture seeks to impose its will upon the people of God. And that how God always has and he preserves for himself a remnant that is completely sold out to him and they stand the test that is before them in that time in the face of great incredible adversity and the risk of great personal loss, uh, even to the risk of their own lives. So, starting here in chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 90 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, this comes uh, in in the book of Daniel... This comes right after uh, Daniel has interpreted, he's not only interpreted, but he told the king what his dream was and then had interpreted for him. And it was a dream about this giant statue. And here we see King Nebuchadnezzar makes this incredibly large gold statue. It's 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all other people of provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, 
This is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. Interesting, right? Now, in Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar is considered earthly-wise to be a king of kings. He is a king over many peoples, peoples that he has gathered and subsumed in, in his empire. And so he is a king over kings. And so he's speaking not only to Babylonians, he's speaking to his, his kingdom. And I think it's interesting that he's talking to them about all these different nations with all these different languages. This should sound familiar to us, every tribe, every tongue, right? But this is a pagan example of that. And he is commanding them to bow down. O peoples, nations, and men of every language, as soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. I think it's, it's always amazing to me how the Holy Spirit ties things together in our services. One of the last things Pete was talking about was bowing down in worship before our God, how we were made to do that. And here we see what the enemy always, always, always tries to do, and that is to bring us to a place that we would bow down as we were designed and destined to do before something else other than God, other than Yahweh. He wants them to prostrate themselves before this golden idol. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So on the pain of death, and very painful death, you will bow down before this idol that I have created, all my people. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, it says this, At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, some Jews, not every Jew. Pay attention to that. Not every Jew, some Jews, whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Some Jews. Not everybody. He's speaking about a remnant. He's speaking about a remnant that is standing apart and they're being snitched on by everybody else who's watching, waiting for them, these guys to, to mess up because they want them taken out. They have been given, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit, they have been given authority and responsibility over the kingdom from a governmental standpoint. Not just, uh, they're not just puppet situation. This, this is, they've actually been given rulership and authority over portions of the kingdom. Furious with rage. His pride has now been provoked. Nebuchadnezzar, 
summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harps, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. So he's being gracious to them. He's giving them a mulligan, right? Well, let's try this again, guys. By the way, I think it's interesting how consistent they are with every instrument there and the order and all of that. <laughs> but he gives them an opportunity to, to say, okay, well, shucks, king, I guess we'll do that. But that's not what takes place here. Now, why is he doing this? He actually trusts these guys pretty significantly. I mean, he, he recognizes who they are, what they've done. We'll get into that in a little bit here. But he has a relationship with them, and so he's giving them opportunity. He's being gracious with them, even though his, his pride is being provoked. His authority is being provoked here. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Now we know from what takes place in Nebuchadnezzar's life. He is a very prideful and arrogant king who God kept trying to give opportunity to humble himself. And he goes through one of the most significant humblings that I've read of in the Bible with what takes place with him later on in his life. <clears throat> but you see the evidence of that pride here in how he's speaking. Who can, what God can rescue you from my hand, right? Okay, so we're going to take a pause there. We're going to roll back a little bit further into, to, into Daniel to look at these three men because they didn't just show up here. These aren't just three guys, as I've kind of alluded to. They're not just three Jews who have chosen not to, not to bow before the idol. And I think sometimes when we get the, the fast-paced version of this story, it's, but there were three in the kingdom who would not do this. Well, who were those three? Because those three and their identity is actually incredibly important to the story. So I just want to dig deeper when we can, as we can, to understand what's going on here. So let's go back into Jan Daniel chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to have them out um, because you're going to want to read this in whatever you're, you're used to reading it in. If you have a paper Bible, you should be taking notes. You should be highlighting things as the, as the Holy Spirit makes you say, huh, I never saw that before. Highlight that. Oh my goodness, that same phrase is here, and it's here. Highlight that, or underline it, or however it is that you do it. If you've got an app, highlight things in there. Make comments in there, because you're going to come back over these things in the future, and it's important to see where your brain has already been on that. And not just your brain, but your spirit, where that's already been. Okay, so, as we spoke about, these men actually have a significant background to the story. So they didn't just arrive. They're not just a bunch of upstarts. They're not just a bunch of rebels that are saying, no, we're not going to do what the king wants us to do. That They are actually men who are in the service of the king. So let's look at how they got there because that's significant for us as well. Many of you who are hearing my voice are actually government employees. You are Christians. You are followers of Christ. You are part of the body of Christ, and you find yourself not only in this culture, but like these men, you find yourself in service of the government. 
Not only do you find yourself in service of it, you find yourself representing it to some degree. So there is in Scripture precedence for how we, who are in that place, can conduct ourselves and stand in those two, two places very well and in good, right conscience before the Lord. So we, we'll start in Daniel 1, verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, or Ashpenaz, chief of his, his court officials, to bring in some Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. So let's look at what, what the category, categories and the qualifications there are for these men just to be, be considered to be part of his court. So they had to be from royal family and the nobility. So these were young men who were familiar with high things. They're familiar with government. They were familiar with monarchy. They were familiar with how the court is supposed to function. Different, different cultures, but some of that stuff translates really well. So they had to be familiar with it. Young men without any physical defect. Handsome. Hey, if these guys are going to be my court, they better look good. Right? They, they got to look the part. Don't just act the part. Look the part. Showing aptitude for every kind of learning. Okay, so they can't just be noble of royal families. They can't just look good. They can't just look the part. They actually have to be the part, too. Okay? So they have to show aptitude for every kind of learning. So not just one specific thing. These guys are jacks of all trades. But really, they have a broad understanding. They're looking for to, to truly have that, that knowledge base and have a hunger and desire for it. Well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. So there's some time that takes place with this. If you consider you know, trying to find some guys for this job, you've got you've to watch, you've got to listen, you've got to see who it is that's picking up the language well, who's learning the customs well, who's st starting to adapt to that situation. But they show much depth of character beyond what's on the surface. The surface matters, but what is mattering almost more here is what's underneath and the potential for these men to come into this kingdom and bring benefit to this king. He, this official, was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. Now, this is very specific. Language and literature have much to do with the culture of the Babylonians. They were to, to really become well-versed and part of this culture to be able to speak with authority and command on this because they're to be ultimately advisors to the king. So he was taking their natural aptitudes and he was trying to bring it into his kingdom and use it for his benefit. Now, God didn't really want his people, you know, if you look back in scripture, to become poisoned by all these other cultures. He was very uh, specific about keeping those things separated, but they're in exile. This is a whole new ball game. The important thing that's taking place here from a from a kingdom perspective, is that God is bringing his people out of their natural habitat, and he's bringing them into a completely different culture. But the question at the end of the day is, and by the way, this is the biggest spanking of all time for the Israelites. Right? They saw this one coming. It was because they're disobedient that God was, he was bringing discipline upon them as a people. 
But in that situation, the question is, will you become enculturated by the people that have rulership over you now? Or does the culture that I have been investing in you through all this time actually come to flourish in this environment? It's a major test. And so here these men have been handpicked to come into the king's court. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. This is how we know that it's three years have gone by before the scenario takes place because he's drawing upon those men who are in his service at that point in time. Okay. Among these were some from Judah. So again, these guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and even Daniel in this situation, are some of those who have been brought in. And they are some of those, they are among those who have been brought into this specific category of those that the king is looking to use for his own services. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach into Azariah, Abednego. Now, these were really specific names. Which is why I think we need to look at this story as not just Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Because the names of these men are significant, as is often the case when you're reading the Bible. Look to see what their names mean, because it tells you a little bit about what God's proving in the story of them. But the fact that their names were changed, again, helps us to recognize that this, this culture is trying to subsume them and, and bring them in and change their identity, what they're, what they're called by everybody around them all the time, change it to something that is pagan, that is meant to overtake and overcome and replace what their names had been to the glory of God with something that this kingdom and this culture cares about. It's not you or that any longer. You are now this. And we're going to call you that all the time. And you can see the devices of the enemy in how he tried to do that with each one because he attacks those names specifically. So for Daniel, Daniel's name means God is my judge. Now, if you consider Daniel's life and everything that takes place with him in the lion's den, he is, he is at that place, I think even at the end of, of that encounter where he is not... He's not consumed by the lions. It was basically, God found me to be innocent in this situation. God is my judge, is what Daniel means. Hananiah, this is the same root name as like Ananias or even John or any, any other conjugation of the John name, which means the Lord shows grace. Or in this situation specifically, it is whom Jehovah has graciously given. So his name all, all, the name has, all of their names have an El or a Yah in there, which are both pointing towards God. Daniel, Hananiah, uh, Azariah, Mishael. So they all reference God in their names. So Hananiah's is the Lord shows grace. Mishael means this, and I love this, who is what God is. So think about that. Who is what God is? 
This is a name that extols the greatness of God. Who, who alone has anything on God? None of you. That's my name. I walk around with who is what God is. Hey, who is what God is? You want some pizza? You know. <laughs> Azariah, the Lord helps, or whom Jehovah helps. Now, Daniel's name was changed to Belteshazzar, which means Bel's prince, or Bel protects his life. So Bel is one of their gods. So who it was before was God is my judge. They're saying, well, Bel's the one who protects his life. And you'll now remember that you are in his service, not Yahweh's service. This is the one who protects your life. And you're, you're his prince. So there's a new identity, identification with a different deity that they're trying to make him uh, sign up with there. Shadrach, which is, remember, Hananiah, the Lord shows grace or whom Jehovah has graciously given. Shadrach means uh, command of Aku, Sumerian uh, moon god, or young friend of the king. A couple different ways that people have looked at that one. But again, it's it's looking at a different God. They're trying to assign his relationship and his identity with somebody, somebody else and erase what, uh, what God has said about him. Mishael, which means who is what God is, uh, which points to the greatness of God. His name was changed to Meshach, which could mean who is what Aku is, or little sheep. So they're trying to, once again, it's, it's, it's all counterfeit. It's all counterfeit. It's very specific to each of their names, so the name sounds kind of similar the way you pronounce them, but they're, they're trying to uh, overtake that. And then Azariah, the Lord helps, uh, whom Jehovah helps, is, uh, is changed to Abednego, which is servant of Nego or Nebo, which is where you see Nebuchadnezzar. Is, his name comes out of that. It's one of their, uh, their high gods as well. So all of them had their names kind of selectively changed, very specifically tailored to each one of them and how God had written their identity in their names. Names are important, folks. Parents, when you're naming your children, spend some time with the Lord about it. Now, consider Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah and about the story we're about to walk into here, right? Because Hananiah's name means the Lord shows grace or whom... Jehovah has graciously given. Is God about to show them grace? Mishael, who is what God is? This is a, almost a, an affront to the question that Nebuchadnezzar has asked. So, if I throw you into the fire, what God can rescue you from my hand? I am great. But Mishael's name means who is what God is? Azariah, the Lord helps, whom Jehovah helps. Is Jehovah about to help these three men? So you look at all their names together, and you can tell there's something brewing, and here it comes. We're going to see a story that's going to demonstrate the greatness of, of our God, and that God recognizes their names, no matter what was done in this earthly kingdom, to try to cover that up and subsume it and change it for their own purposes. These men are completely sold out to God. Okay, so we're going to go forward from there. So pause, because we, we have to see there's, there are so many layers of depth to these stories. And it's important for us to recognize them. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. 
Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Now why is it that he did not want to eat their, their food and drink their drink? He didn't want to defile himself, right? Why would he be defiling himself? What, what was it about this food and drink that was an issue? It had been offered to idols. It had been offered to idols. It was defiled. Uh, food wasn't prepared the same way that they were supposed to prepare their food in covenant relationship with God. Everything about it was, was something they said, we, we just we can't trust it, and we won't do that. We will not choose to defile ourselves by consuming this food. It's fine for everybody else, not for us, because we live in covenant relationship with God. And so they said, we, we don't want to do that. And he's like, oh, but this could cost me my head, <laughs> guys. So what I find here is very interesting. Daniel offers an opportunity to put this to the test. Okay? So he's already, he's putting himself in the hands of the Lord and saying, Lord, I can't make a difference here. I know that you've allowed me to do this thing and I'm going to walk faithfully here. And if you want this to move forward, then it's going to have to look good so it can be acceptable and received by this guard. Okay. So, Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. <clears throat> this is nothing, none other than the hand of the Lord, right? In their lives, he's honored the commitment they've made. And so he, he adjusts them based on the metric that they're being, they're being judged by against everybody else that's there. And they are setting a standard in their lives that says, we are completely sold out to God. We trust him to move us forward in the midst of this pagan environment to still do honor to him and live here honestly and honorably before the king. And so they do. And I love what happens next. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. So they have favor with the Lord. They have favor with men. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, that's three years, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. God blessed them, and he blessed the nation that was housing them in, in kind. The king was coming to them for counsel. That's why I'm saying when, when the king comes, brings them forward, he's furious, right? Because they didn't bow down before his idol. But he gives them a chance because he trusts them. He recognizes that the hand of God is upon them. Now, he doesn't like what's, what he's seeing, but he's giving them an opportunity here. And he's... He's probably recognized that they do things differently 
He's heard stories about this, but this has gone too far this time. And he's putting his foot down. I said I would do this, and doggone it, you haven't listened to me, so I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to throw you into the fire. But I'm going to give you one more chance. All right, so let's jump back into the story then. Picking up in verse 16. He had just said to them, Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. Us, us, we. If you look back throughout this story, all the way up to this point in time, these men and when they've been listed with Daniel as well, have been in complete unity in how they move forward together. Daniel made the appeal, but they all went through that time of testing together. If it's one of us, it's all of us. All right, so these guys are there, and they are completely sold out to God in this situation. They don't, they don't even think about what could happen here. It's just, listen, we don't even need to defend ourselves to you. And they have done nothing wrong. They've not been uh, coercing the king in any way. They've, they've not been subverting his plans or anything. They have been in faithful service to the king. He's trusted them because they are faithful advisors. And in doing so, they're honoring the Lord. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not... We want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. All the pressure of this gigantic kingdom, the king of kings is standing before them. They've been serving him faithfully, and he has the ability to kill their bodies, and he is furious at them. His countenance to them has changed. He's just, mm, he is mad at these guys. And he's threatening them with death. And they say, hey, our God, in answer to your first question, our God is able to rescue us, and he will. But even if he doesn't, because these guys are so honorable, they don't levy their expectations on God that he's only really good if he saves us from this situation. I think we get there sometimes. If he's really good, then he's going to extract me from the situation. He's going to show up. He's going to change this whole thing, and I'll be done and out and through of it. That's not what they're saying here. He is able. But even if he doesn't, it doesn't matter, because I'm going to be seeing him soon. It's worth dying not to defile ourselves in this way, because we have lived upright and righteous lives before the Lord. We are in covenant with him. Our entire lives depend on him. Why would I choose to defile myself at this point and bow before this idol? I've been made to worship him. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. Remember, he had kind of, I'll give you guys a mulligan. Come on, just... We'll just pretend it never happened. 
His attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in the army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. That term blazing furnace shows up multiple times in here, you know, for effect. Why seven times hotter? Did they have a temperature gauge to be able to figure that? No. Why seven times hotter? Well, they tend to have seven specific deities that this, this nation serves. So to recognize seven, this is, these, are, these are thoughts about this. Nowhere in the Bible does it say this is exactly what it is. But if you look at what, what the studies on this culture are, there's seven spirits that they serve. And these three men have just said, we're not bowing down to anything that you're going to put before us. And Nebuchadnezzar, who has already recognized the spirit of God on Daniel and on them, remember, they're in a position now, if you read to the end of Daniel chapter 2, when Daniel did his great deed in interpreting the dream, he basically said, all right, I'm getting promoted. Hey, these three guys I'm taking with me. That, hap- that happens today, right? We see that happen in the changes of command. These three guys I'm taking with me. And for them to be able to say, we're not serving your God, he recognizes, I depend on the spiritual realm as well. So the thought is here, that by making it seven times hotter, he's nodding at the seven deities that they serve. Because they've just, they've just received an offensive statement from these three men. All right. Strongest soldiers to tie them up so they can't get away, right? So these men, these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Right. Just in case you were in question whether how the, the fire was as hot as he said it was, the guys that came to bring them there died on the way. So it's not that eh, it really wasn't hot enough to kill somebody. No, the, the testimony is that those men died on the way. And these three men firmly tied fell into the blazing furnace. And that was history. They had a good stand before the king, and they were martyred there on the plains of Babylon. No, that's not the story, right? This is such a good story. I just love it. (laughs) Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? Imagine that. This is the king, right? He's been sitting there watching this whole thing. It's just furious and fuming, right? And he leaps to his feet. Wait, 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 wait. I thought there were three guys we threw into that fire. Do you guys see that? That There was only three of them, right? Nobody else fell in when they were tossing them in, right? Okay. They replied, certainly, O king. He said, look. I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a what? Son of the gods. Come on. Come on. Unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son 
a son of the gods. Now we, we understand this to be a Christophany. Are you familiar with that term? Christophany is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus himself, the fourth man in the fire. And here he is. He is un, he's there unbound, they're unharmed, and he's walking around. They're just chatting in the midst of this fire. What? Come on. Okay, so think about this. We've, we've talked about these types of things frequently over the past several months, where when Jesus shows up, there's an alternate economy that takes place. Remember, heavenly reality is superior to earthly reality. And where he shows up, all things are possible. Now, it doesn't say this here, and you read some commentaries, and they're like, well, look, their, their cords were, were burned off, and there they were walking around with Jesus in the fire. I don't, I don't personally take that perspective. I think Jesus came and unbound them. Nothing else, as we go forward, nothing else that was on their person is touched by the flames. But Jesus is there, and he's the Savior, he's the Rescuer, he's the Redeemer, he's the one who comes and looses us, and here he is with these men, they are unbound. Somebody had to unbind them. I posit that it was Christ. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace. I like that language there. He approached it because it was stinking hot. He couldn't get up there. Approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. Which hand is the peanut in? As Pastor Lanny likes to say. He identifies them as who they are, servants of the Most High God. He is witnessing firsthand and with his eyes something that is unbelievable, unmistakable, and he calls them servants of the Most High God. Come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. It's like they just kind of like sauntered out of it, right? Oh, okay. We'll get out of the hot tub. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and the royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was, a, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Like it never happened. Like it never happened. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way. This from a pagan king. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Smart guy. Man, I love this story. 
just think that's so cool. They didn't even smell like smoke. I think the people that were standing around smelled like smoke. They didn't even smell like smoke. When, when God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, we find Exodus 20, it says this, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth, on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the, for the sins of the parents of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. These guys remembered that. They had lived that. They learned that when they were young. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he won't depart from it. There's specific language there for your specific child because we're each individual. But there's general language there as well as they knew what it was that they were supposed to do. Listen, these were young men who were coming into a foreign land to serve a foreign king. And they were being commanded to serve and worship foreign gods. They were on their own, but they had one another. And most importantly, they had real relationship with Yahweh. And they lived that out practically amongst what I think to be one of the greatest trials by fire, if I may, that anybody in recorded scripture had to go through. God did not have to show up in the midst of the fire with them, but he chose to. He chose to honor them. He chose to demonstrate his greatness, and it was all for God's glory. It wasn't for their, their glory. These men demonstrated humility in every aspect of their walk throughout this entire story. They didn't lord, well, I can't eat that because I'm... We cannot do that. We're in submission. Can we, can we do a test to see if it is viable for us to do, to do this? Because they're walking in good conscience before the Lord. But they were walking humbly before their captors. They were exalted to places of incredible authority. This is like Joseph in Egypt, guys, who's brought there as a slave and is given the keys to the kingdom. It's the same type of things that's happened to, to them and to Daniel. They have incredible authority, incredible rulership, and there was a ridiculous amount of jealousy by everybody else in the kingdom for what they had. Of course they were pointed out. Look at those guys. They're not doing what they're supposed to be doing here. But God has exalted them. And it was for the benefit of his own people and for the nation that they were serving. And I think that's an interesting thing for us to, to draw from here as well. They were able to faithfully serve their king. They are able to faithfully serve the government that was there. But most importantly, and above all, they faithfully served their God. And they never lost their identity of, of the names that they had been given. Right? They, they never lost their true identity. In the face of everything that was there, they stood firm in who God had called them to be. And they walked out on the other side 
you know, talk about being refined. That's a refining moment for them. And it's something that we should really pay attention, really pay attention to. I'm going to go to, to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. You probably know this scripture. You've heard it a lot of times. Paul says this to the Romans, and I think it's, it's a New Testament takeaway from something that we have here so clearly demonstrated in the Old Testament. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. The offering of all of yourselves. These guys were about to get sacrificed. And they offered themselves freely to God. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. These men were completely committed to God. They are committed to one another. They are in unity. They stood together. And God showed up. Jesus showed up for them in the midst of this fire. Now, here's something that's pretty neat. Isaiah chapter 43 has a really interesting promise from God to his people. Now, remember, Isaiah spoke, and he was prophesying before the exile came, before they're brought off into, uh, into Babylon. So this is some likely 80 years ahead of the scenario that we're talking about here. He says this in Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 3. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. Both of those are history now. From the, from, from the standpoint of where Isaiah is prophesying, those, those two situations are history. God brought them through the deep waters of the Red Sea. Remember that? Yes, we remember that. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. The Jordan was at flood stage when they came into the promised land. But God stood it back all the way up, back to Adam, right? Know what it says. He stood that, that river up so they could come through. They were not washed away by that. So this is part of their history. But what he's about to speak about is future tense. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. This is a prophetic promise. Now, in all likelihood, these three men knew this scripture. But I would say, in all likelihood, they probably weren't thinking about that scripture when they gave their gut-level response to the king that said, no way. We do have it on good authority that he will do this. But it, even if he doesn't, it's, it's the Job. If, if he slays me, I will yet praise him because my life is his. This isn't even in the new covenant. These guys are walking in an old covenant. And here they are, trusting in him, in him this way. 
they know that he's capable of saving them out of their hands. We're in a time and in a season where, from a, a church perspective, the culture that we live in is not what it had, had been for generations before now. We're seeing increased tension towards Christians. And we can debate all day long, probably all week long, as to how we got there. But regardless, we have a culture that's becoming less and less friendly to the people of God. In all likelihood, we will not long enjoy a superior voice in the culture or a superior stance there. Now, whether that happens or not, we as the people of God have to make a decision ahead of time about where we stand and how we stand before the Lord. Because we're all going to face, in our lifetime, testings of various kinds, but the very real possibility exists for us in this nation, as it already does for people in many other nations across the planet, that we may have to make life and death decisions about whether or not we follow the Lord. And whether or not we stand together as his people with one heart and one mind committed to him. Now whether that day comes in our lifetimes or not is up to the Lord. But what we see here is that God is looking for people who are his remnant that will be purified before him, that will represent him at all costs, whether he rescues them out of that situation or not. I'm incredibly encouraged by this story. I'm going to read from Hebrews chapter 12. Verses 23 through 29. You've heard us speak about this here. You've probably heard it in many other areas as well, but the talk about how this is a shaking time. We've been through a shaking. We've, we've seen so much of what we have experienced for a long time as our, as our solid, what we consider core foundational infrastructures and and structures of our, of our culture that have, we've found comforts and, and strength and security in being shaken over this past year, year and a half or more. And we see the Lord even shaking the church in this time. He's shaking. He's shaking. He's shaking for a purpose. So I'm just going to read this, this passage to you. And I want you to consider it in light of what we've just read. We've read about a blazing fire. We've read about people standing firm in God, being completely brought out of all of their comfort and put into a society in a space that's completely foreign in every way, that's trying to overcome their identity, overcome what God has said about them, and subsume them into that culture. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. 
You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive, are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The scriptures warn us not to fear man who can kill our body, but to fear God. Our God is an all-consuming fire. These men knew who held their lives in his hands. They knew that in eternity they would be answering to him. That this earthly fire that they saw had nothing on the real fire of who God the Father is. And so they said, not a question for us. We're going to keep moving forward here. You know, I think it was interesting that Pastor Dan shared today about Peter and John, the healing at the, the man at the gate called Beautiful. Because there's something similar that takes place in that story as he goes on, as took place in the story that we spoke about here. Remember this, they had so many people come to Christ that day because this man who people had known for 40 years as a cripple who had been begging in that place was healed. Word just spread through the city like crazy and thousands came to Christ that day. And these two men, Peter and John, were dragged before the Sanhedrin and remember, they were ordered to not speak the gospel and not share about Jesus. And what did they say there? They said, judge for yourselves which is right for us to do. Obey you or obey God? Yeah. Yeah. So let's just bring, let's just bring the story into the New Testament, the New Covenant. They're witnessing the gospel. They're demonstrating spirit and power. They, like these other men, came poor in spirit. I have nothing to give. But my king does. These men in the Old Testament, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they came poor in spirit. Everything that took place in that situation was because of their humility before God. He demonstrated his great economy, his great power. And so we see Peter and John in that same place. You judge, which is right for us to do. Just like Nebuchadnezzar had said about these men, they were willing to give their lives and defy the command of the king so that they could live in right conscience before their God. The question for us today because as we read these stories, great story, yeah, nice job, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Great job, Peter and John. That's fantastic. 
How does this apply to your life? What pressures are you facing that would be warring against your identity in Christ? What pressures might you face that would call those things into question? What work do we do now as we posture our hearts before God and say, Lord, everything I have, all that I am is yours. Anything you want to do with my life, it's you. Around here, we, we call that keep giving God your yes. Keep doing that work of saying, well, what, is, what else is in me that, that is offensive to you? What else is it in, that's in me that needs to fall away? What else is, is it that's in me that's keeping me and holding me back from what you have for me? Settling within ourselves our identity in him because when that's called into question, because we will all face challenges. Let's go to the end of Daniel here real quick. Just thought about this. Daniel 12. Chapter 10. I'm sorry, Daniel 12, verse 10. This is what's said to Daniel about the end times. Many will be purified, made spotless, and refined. But the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. That's talking about the end times. And he's saying, many will be purified, made spotless, and refined. Let us be of that many. The story we've talked about today is a story about refining fire. You can imagine, and you can bet, that those three men walking out on that other side of that fire had God prove himself real to them in a whole new way. There are probably some theories that they had in their hearts that became realities that day. Lord, purify us. Make us spotless. Refine us, Lord. There's a participatory aspect to that for us. This isn't just a fairy tale set in times long past. This is real life. This is reality. This is a testimony of what God has done. There's testimony of Jesus in here. There's testimony of God's people who have trusted him in ways that some of us may never face, but it should give hope to all of us for whatever it is that we're facing today, to follow him, to stand, and to be counted among those who are being purified, spotless, and refined. Do we have any words this morning? We had a word come forth um, during worship, and I'll read it. I believe I saw a picture of a person swimming a long distance in deep, open waters, like someone swimming across the English Channel. They wore the necessary gear, and they were focused on the task at hand. They appear prepared, but it was undoubtedly 
an arduous task. The reminder or instruction from the Lord was not to forget the help boat that often is very near the swimmer during the journey. This boat does a number of things. It can help the swimmer take the easiest path through the currents and tides, block the wind and surface the choppiness, and provide food and hot beverages. Father God provides everything you need through the challenging seasons and times of suffering. He has also equipped you. And the uh, scripture that came to mind for this person was Isaiah 43, 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. Ties in with the lesson today, I suspect. It's amazing when a plan comes together. Thank you, Lord. In a couple moments here, I'm going to pass it off to Katie as she gives us instructions about how we're to finish here today. I'd like you to take to heart what it is that the Lord has given us. The encouragement that he's given us, the challenge that he's given us. And there's a good chance that he's been stirring your hearts here today. So I'm just going to pray. And I'm going to hand it to Katie and she'll give us instructions as she dismisses us. Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for for what you did all those years ago, Lord, for those men, for your people, Lord. What an incredible loving act that you gave to them, Lord. I thank you for your commitment to them, Lord, and their commitment to you. And I thank you that it was recorded for us. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would do your work in us like like no one else can. Lord, that you would work this story into us. You would work your word, your words of life into us. That you would encourage, that you would strengthen. But also, Lord, that you would tear down walls that are in our hearts right now, Lord. That would be put up, Lord, to keep you from penetrating deep into our hearts into those recesses that need your light and your healing and your freedom. Ask for your blessings upon your people, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm going to close this out this morning. Um, just a couple reminders. If you would like to come up, the altar is open. If you have some time that you would like to spend with the Lord individually, I'm just going to ask that you come to this side. And if you would like any prayer um, from one of our prayer ministers, go ahead and come over to this side. Uh, before you leave, if you see a, a face that you've never met before, go ahead and spend a few minutes, get to know them, learn their name. If you see someone that you haven't seen in a long time, spend a few minutes catching up. Go out to lunch with someone. Invite someone to lunch. I'm going to quickly pray us out. Um, Father, I thank you for this time that we've had to gather today. I thank you, Lord, for what you've deposited in our spirits, Lord, the things that you have left us to ruminate and meditate upon. 
the scriptures that you've led us to today. I pray, Father God, that as we walk out, Lord, that we will continue to be the body of Christ outside the walls of this church, Lord. I pray, Father God, that you would tune our ears to hear from you this week, Lord. I pray, Father, that if you bring someone's name or um, their face to our mind, Father God, that we would reach out and we would connect. I pray, Father God, though, as we're at the grocery store or at church or, or anywhere else where our daily activity brings us, Lord, if someone... Um, someone mentions, Father God, that, that they're in pain or something is particularly challenging, that we would be reminded to take a minute and ask him if we could pray for them, Lord. I just ask, Lord, that you would get us into the, the habit and of, of constantly turning to you, Father God, in those situations where we could keep moving forward or we could come to you be, um, with, this, with the, these people, Father God, that you put in our path. I thank you, Lord, for today. I thank you, Lord, um, for the week that we all have ahead of us, Father, I ask that you would be with us and bless us until we meet again, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, Encounter Service is next Sunday. Um, we are going to start doing those again at the beginning of every month, the first Sunday of the month. We will then gather out on the back lawn or in the picnic area, so bring your picnic lunch for your family. Um, we will and wear your clothes that you can be inside and outside in, so we'll be here for Encounter Service. Picnic out on the lawn. That's it.